Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello, welcome back. It is Sunday night. You are listening to Mark Daily, Mark Hamilton from the Scootery F1 Pod, and Tim Haraney from the TSN Racing Pod here to recap somewhat dramatic and disappointing, if you're a Ferrari fan, French Grand Prix. Boys, how's it going tonight? Yeah, doing good. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It's always fun to uh, break these uh, Grand Prix down <laughs> following them. I'm sure, Daly, you have a lot to say about what oh. happened today. <laughs> oh, I think we all have a lot to say about uh, what happened today. I think there was a lot of people wearing red that are not very... They're seeing a lot of red tonight after <laughs> what we saw in the Grand Prix today. Mark, you're all smiles too, but I know you're ready to let loose here. The, you know, people saw the, 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 the text that we've been sending each other all day in our, in our little group here. It would have been uh, kind of interesting. But I don't think what we've been saying... Really really was a lot of different from a lot of uh, opinion from you know in the media in the paddock it, it, with all the fans around the world it was another case of uh well ferrari let one get away but before we get to that there are plenty of things to talk about because of course the the big incident came with charles leclerc in the race about 15 laps in but we should probably set it up we should go back talk about qualifying because it was interesting qualifying and uh, let's start from there. Guys, where do you want to pick it up? Tim, what stood out for you in, in qualifying? Obviously, one of the big stories was Charles, or sorry, um, Carlos Sainz taking the penalty. So he was going to start further back on the grid, but lots of uh, really interesting talking points. Yeah, I think uh, the, even doing the the drafting that uh, that they were doing um, during qualifying with, with Sainz and Leclerc was, was quite interesting because that's such an easy thing to really like mess up and for them to like execute it pretty flawlessly i mean it was it was good i i thought that part of it was actually quite excellent on um carlos science's part uh and just being a good teammate too at the end of the day because there, there's a number of different instances w- within that where he could have you know <laughs> maybe not moved over before turn 11 or, <laughs> you know, maybe break a little earlier and caught, you know, caught his teammate out a bit uh, because technically Carlos was the, 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 the faster driver. I feel this weekend, um, even though Leclerc did get pole uh, science, uh, science was really strong. He, he was, uh, he looks so comfortable in this car. And if we go back to the beginning of the season where all of us were just like, so shocked, (laughs) Hammy's shaking his head at like his pace and just how dreadful it was. And the luck that the guy was having just piling on top of that too. So yeah, I, I think like, you know, this could have went a number of different ways in qualifying, but I thought Carlos was a, was a true professional and, um, 
and, and did the right thing. And on top of that, he, he did it well. Hamby, before you weigh in, I've got a, an email here from JJ in H-Town, and I think uh, he raises a couple of interesting points, and I'd like to, to get both of you to weigh in on this. So before Mark takes it up, uh, I think there might be a little bit, uh, I, I think JJ's got raises a couple of good points. So uh, in the French Grand Prix qualifying, I understand Ferrari sending out both Sainz and Leclerc in Q3 so that Charles could get a tow. However, what was Haas trying to accomplish by having Magnussen out in Q3? Was it to accumulate more data on Mag- Magnuson's upgraded car, or maybe just Haas keeping their competition out of Q3? What else does Haas gain by having Magnuson in Q3 as opposed to just having them sit in the garage the whole session? Just to clarify, I don't know. Uh, Magnuson didn't post a time in Q3. My question is really about him posting times in Q1, especially Q2. Why is it so important that he makes that out of Q2? So uh, who, who wants to pick that one up? Mark, Tim? It's well, kind of an interesting couple of interesting he's, points that he's got there. He's pointing at me. <laughs> um, well, I mean, going in, we knew that Kevin Magnuson had a had a grid drop, and he was going to be starting from the back regardless. And then, just on top of that, I think you know part of it has to do with mileage, what um, and, and how much stress they're going to be putting on the parts and the components, and just getting some pace out of it too at the end of the day and seeing what the car had in the reason that they don't go out in, in Q3. I mean, that's, that's something they didn't, they didn't touch on. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, it still shows to me that that Haas, which isn't even upgraded yet, they haven't had any new parts on that car uh, literally all season uh, still has a ton of pace guys. Oh, mm-hmm. and they haven't yeah. even upgraded it. Like that, that, that's a crazy yeah, thing. So I, crazy. I mean, everybody else has thrown how many new bits and pieces on their cars uh, to this point. We're what now eleven races into this thing. It's 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 kind of crazy that uh, the, the the parts, the upgrades that they have, still haven't even shown up from the factory yet to put on these cars. And mm-hmm. and from I mean, they've had a couple of rough uh, weekends, no doubt about it. But I mean, compared to where they were this time last year, I mean, it, it's it's a world of difference. I mean, obviously, K Mag's a huge upgrade in terms of drivers, and and Mick Schumacher's obviously benefited from that unfortunately they got a, a little bit caught out by the safety car at the beginning of the race there about a third or a quarter of the way through the race or whatever it was um but having said that you know it is it, it's nuts mark what did you make of that uh you know what, what's your take on magnuson yeah, I thought that was interesting. And Tim makes a really good point about the fact that this is a team, and I don't want to get kind of steer too far away from qualifying, but this is a team that, you know, they obviously had some really bad luck when you look back at Monaco and Azerbaijan and Canada, but they had a double points finish in Great Britain. They had a double points finish in Austria. Mick broke into the points for his first time and then his second time in back-to-back race weekends. The car seems capable. I just, I am, I'm a little bit frustrated that this team is so slow to develop upgrades and get them into the pipeline and get them to the Grand Prix weekend because to Tim's point, this is a team that's capable of scoring points on any given weekend. And I feel like Kevin Magnuson and Mick would really benefit from some hardware upgrades to that car. And again, I got it last year. They weren't going to invest anything in that car. I kind of got it in 2020 that they weren't going to invest anything in that car. They were waiting until the, the new regulations kicked in, but the regulations are here. And I would like to see a little bit more commitment from that team in terms of providing upgrades and updates to those two drivers. I think my other thought, and, and Tim was right on the mark when we talk about Carlos Sainz was a great team player. He helped deliver that toe. They didn't get it the first time. They did a second try. They delivered it perfectly, probably. And I think I think they were indicating it probably got, probably got uh, 
uh, Charles Leclerc two tenths to maybe three tenths of a second, which was enough to get him pole. But the other thing that I was watching very closely during qualifying was the pers- or the pace of the Mercedes, because obviously you flash back to Silverstone, arguably, and he didn't win the race, but arguably Lewis had some of the best race pace on the track that weekend on the Sunday. Um, they've obviously been increasingly competitive. Lewis has now four podiums on the trot, five overall this season. Car looks good. They didn't have great pace in free practice and they didn't have great pace in qualifying. In fact, if you look at Lewis and if you look at if you look at uh, his teammate, George Russell, they were actually split by Lando Norris, who had a really surprising qualifying performance. But I think those were some of the bigger takeaways for me, for sure. I want you. You steered it nicely towards uh, Mercedes, Mark, which is exactly where I wanted to go next. And I got a nice quote here from Team Principal Toto Wolf, and uh, I'll just read it out to you guys. And and Tim, you'll probably be able to add a little bit more context to this. So Toto had the following to say: "Quote: uh, We were slowly but surely working our way back to the front runners. There were good signs at Silverstone, and then we went to Austria at a track where we normally uh, are not competitive at all, and we could clearly see the signs why we were not competitive." But we were close. It's a one-minute circus, and we were three-tenths off, which is acceptable. Then we brought a quite a nice update package to Paul Ricard. The track is smooth. Off we go. Let's hunt them down. And no performance. Like, no performance, and we can't figure it out. End quote. Tim, uh, in your dealings uh, th- this weekend and some of the interactions you've had, do you have uh, more context that uh, you're able to provide on that quote from Total Wolf and some of the issues that Mercedes had at Paul Ricard this weekend? Yeah, a big part of it is uh, tire warm-up. So for the first portion of you know, when the car goes out onto the track and the tires aren't up to peak operating temperature, it actually takes more than uh, what they were expecting to actually generate heat and get the tire actually activated uh, for this weekend in particular. But they found that once the tire got turned on, it was extremely quick for them, but it was that initial phase of trying to figure out how to uh, generate enough heat into the tire fast enough. So in the race, if you guys can recall, uh, and I don't want to just you know jump right into the race already, but when Max pulled away after um, the uh, the VSC, and I think and Lewis couldn't couldn't keep up, like Max had already broken the DRS after I think it was like one lap. Um, that's a, a clear sign that the tire was sh- struggling. The car is struggling to try and get heat within the tire. But as soon as the race started to progress, Lewis started actually kind of w- wasn't matching Max, but he was close to it. And then again, actually, it wasn't after the VSC. I think it was safety car. Sorry, safety car for Verstappen and Hamilton. Uh, but then with the VSC, it was George Russell and Sergio Perez. So when the VSC ended and Perez got uh, sorry, Russell got Perez. Uh, you could see that Sergio was starting to chase down George and close the gap to him, even though we saw before the VSC, um, Sergio was really struggling. So, Tim, is is it reassuring for Mercedes that they understand what the pace gap was driven by? That it wasn't suddenly a mystery that, hey, look, we just don't understand how to activate these tires with our current aerodynamic philosophy. Is this reassuring to them that maybe they know what the issue is? Or is it opening an entirely different Pandora's box of problems that they need, now need to solve? No, I think they're, they've really gotten the, the hang of this car. Um and just how it's, it is kind of look, it is sort of looking like it's a bit track dependent. Uh, you know, if we, if we look at the next race up in, in Hungary, uh, the track 
and the asphalt there, I believe it is a little bit different to what France has to offer. Um, that could lend itself to, you know, Mercedes, even though they are supposedly, you know, they're, they're fast in a straight line, but they're also really fast in high speed uh, sections. Um, and with Hungary, it's a slower speed type of a track. They actually feel that they might have some pace when they, when they get to Hungary. It was the fact that they were so slow when they got to France because everyone was putting so much expectation on the fact that they were going to be good when they got to France, right? And it just turned out that the heat, uh, the way that they were running the tire, and then also the the pavement factored into all that. They just couldn't get that generate that heat over a single lap. Yeah, interesting, guys. Um, now that we uh, we've talked about Haas, we've talked about uh, Mercedes. I just wanted to talk now about uh, Lando Norris and uh, McLaren because if we look down the the, the top ten, uh, we have on row one we have Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen. Row two you have Sergio Perez and Lewis. Row three is Lando and George Russell. Row four is Fernando and Yuki Tsunoda. And row five is Carlos Sainz and Kevin Magnussen. And then, well, before the uh, before all the grid penalties and everything were uh, mm-hmm. were applied, of course. And then outside the top ten, you have Danny Ricardo and Esteban Ocon, Valtteri Bottas, Sebastian Vettel, and Alex Albon, who didn't make it out of Q2. And then not making it out of Q1 was Pierre Gasly, Lance Stroll, Joe Guan Yu, Mick Schumacher, and Nicholas Latifi. Um, now, I just want to talk about Lando because, I mean, he split the two Mercedes cars. If you look at the times uh, that they set in Q3, Lewis set a 131.765. Lando's was a 132.032. So just a whisker in head of uh, George Russell, a 132.131. Now, Lando said that uh, he was very happy, of course, to qualify where he did, but felt that uh, he was going to be in a bit of a, a, a tough uh, spot uh, for, for the race. But what, what were your guys' uh, take on Lando putting it uh, as far up the grid as he did? Again, his teammates didn't quite um, make the cut there right at the end of q2 uh, there's a little bit of uh, a little bit of improvement in the race itself but i thought it was quite a strong showing from lando and qualifying hammy you want a piece of that yeah you know i i hesitate to get too excited about that performance by by lando principally because of i think what tim just talked about which is mm-hmm. I don't think that either of the Mercedes, especially when you talk about getting heat into those tires for Q1 to Q2 and ultimately Q3, were probably in an optimal position. And I think maybe under different circumstances, Lando probably wouldn't have split the two. Uh, I think it's it's a nice flash for a team that obviously this year has struggled in, in many ways. And I think Daniel Ricciardo probably outperformed expectations, which again are admittedly very low. Uh, but I don't know that I would read a lot into that. Tim, I don't know if you feel differently or maybe there's reason to be truly optimistic if you're a McLaren fan and a Lando Norris fan and given the way that fortunes have been for this team they're really grasping at at straws in terms of finding something to be excited about well they did bring uh some upgrades some pretty big upgrades actually to the car uh this weekend and they were actually pretty excited to to kind of to, to kind of have them. And the thing with the upgrades and hearing from Lando is that, you know, he was telling us that it works better uh, for qualifying at the moment than it does actually within the race it, itself. Um, they feel that they would have been a lot slower in qualifying if they didn't have the upgrades that they brought for, for France. I, I think in terms of Lando, you know, 
after qualifying, he, he had said something like, Hey, like that, that's one of the best laps like I've ever done. And then I should have been on, I should have been on pole or, or something along those lines of obviously paraphrasing with all of this, but that's sort of what Lando w- was, um, was, was saying. And he was, he was pretty shocked that he, he wasn't higher up than where he was, but he also felt at the same time, that was it. That was everything that the car had. And Hmm. that's a scary thing if you're thinking about it, because they have to fight Alpine for fourth in the constructors. They were tied coming in uh, this weekend uh, in the constructors. So yeah, (laughs) it's kind of scary for McLaren moving forward, I think. Yeah. Hey guys, just before we tidy up uh, qualifying, I just want to talk about the two Canadian drivers where they qualified. On paper, it looks a little bit, uh, it didn't look all that great. Uh, Nicholas Latifi uh, qualified in 20th and la- uh, last. Lance Stroll didn't you know, make it out of Q1 either. Their fates on race day turned out uh, a lot different. We won't uh, give the spoiler away uh, just yet. Um, who wants to take this one first? Tim, why not? Uh, what, were your, uh, what was your takeaway for both uh, Nikki and Lance uh, during qualifying on saturday for nicholas uh getting the upgrade was a big deal and he actually was he actually was doing a pretty good job with this upgrade um during his final push lap he was actually up on alex uh in the first sector and he had lost eight tenths from corner eight uh, coming out of corner eight and continuing mm. the lap, he had lost eight tenths. And that's a lot. And that's a lot of time. The car actually was so affected by the wind that he actually was radioing back to the pits asking if there was something wrong like with the engine. Because it mm. just felt like something had happened to the car. He felt like the car was broken. And because it was that affected by the wind he also he wasn't the only driver actually to have that issue um this weekend there were others alex was one of them who got affected by the wind uh i believe mick was as well um as for lance in qualifying uh he was saying i believe he's i believe he was saying he got held up by traffic or traffic something happened with him and being stuck up in in traffic but it's just uh, it's the same old thing where you know he he hasn't qualified well this season at all with this car and but he's raced well like he's raced mm-hmm. he's raced really well but yeah. the problem is just that just the qualifying is just for for him and Sebastian it's just kind of they're really confused as trying to figure out how to get this car to perform in qualifying well, that's just it. I mean, uh, Lance, obviously, uh, you know, like you're saying, he had the the issue with traffic on his last hop la- hot lap. But uh, that being said, his teammate, uh, Sebastian Vettel, makes it out of Q1, makes it into mm-hmm. Q2, but only qualifies 14th in the end. And, you know, that's, you know, I mean, sure, he, he makes it to Q2, but he's not really that much further up the road to start the race than his teammate was. So they continue to be a bit of a conundrum when it comes to, to qualifying. Okay, well, we've talked about qualifying now let's get to the race the the big moment obviously lap 18 
Charles Leclerc out front did a very good job keeping Max Verstappen at arm's length in those first almost 20 laps of the race. Max got on the uh, the, the back of Charles a couple of times. Looked like at one point he was going to he was close enough to make a move on him, didn't quite uh, wasn't quite able to pull it off. And then uh, several laps later, it's uh, Charles. He loses the the back end going into turn 11. There's no gravel or anything like that. Goes across that uh, painted uh, runoff area, stuffs it into the tires, buries the nose into the tire because, you know, it's a bit of an older, um, you know, circuit. So it doesn't have the modern crash barriers. And that's it. You know, at, at first there was some speculation. Oh, maybe it was a sticky throttle pedal again and this and that. But at, at the end of the day, Charles was, you know, he admitted that it was a, a mistake. And now he's basically said, and the words that he used specifically regarding his, uh, well, I guess it's former challenge to the 2022 World Championship uh, does not look great. So, guys, I mean, Tim, you're a driver. You've been there. You've done that. Uh, just talk to us what, what sort of headspace that, that he could have been in because... Obviously, he's a good driver. There, there's no doubting that Charles Leclerc has talent. There was no doubt that on Sunday, between the Red Bull and the Ferrari, they were pretty evenly matched. The Red Bull was better on some parts of the track. The Ferrari mm-hmm. was, had a bit of an edge on other parts of the track. But Charles was just doing a little bit to keep Max uh, you know, uh, or behind him. Going into that first round of pit stops, we saw Max go and try for the undercut, and that was the big question. You know, if he goes and gets goes for the undercut, is he going to pull it off and pass Charles by by way of strategy? And we didn't even get a lap to see if that was going to manifest or, or not. But Tim, just walk us through that whole incident with with Charles taking it and stuffing it into the tires on lap eighteen. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, for Leclerc at that point, within the race, like just trying to avoid uh, the undercut. But the thing is, is that I think, I think Verstappen still was going to get him just because pit lane was a lot longer here than what they had expected. And for them to get up and and down it and get a fresh set of tires on. And I think, you know, obviously he was trying to push like that. That was a critical moment. I think for Ferrari uh, within this race to try and just, hold on to the lead because it would have been really close if if they had it pitted because I think like Max had gotten it down to 20 I think it was like a 28 second if I'm not mistaken gap that Leclerc had after the second lap of Max on on new rubber I think that was around the gap and I think it was around 30 it was around 30 to 31 seconds for 
um, a pit stop. So for Leclerc, it was going to be, you know, it was going to be really close on, on, on the exit, um, just where he was going to cycle out into the race. So just pushing way too much guys on a set of tires that were kind of starting to come to the end of its life cycle. And with that corner, like it, there's so much like lateral load being put through, um, those tires and you're coming off of scene, which is another, uh, right-hander that again is requiring a lot from the tires that are on the left-hand side of the race car. And you're just, you're asking so much from the tire at that point to do, and it doesn't have the life left in it. So just carrying so much speed heading into turn 11 and just getting offline just a bit. And that's the thing with these new regulation cars that I'm really starting to notice is that once they kind of get offline and into like the marbles of the dirt or whatever, the amount of grip and how fast that these cars lose grip is shocking. And that's exactly, you know, what happened. It, 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 I, I'm really surprised that he made a mistake like this, but after I've watched it over several times, heard from him and then went back and rewatched things, I can see now, you know, just how subtle it was. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's like, we've been mentioning on the text, right guys? Like, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it sucks because we want to see this, you know, Hammy, we want to see this championship close. And it's just, you know, Max is just running away with this thing. And Tim, that's that's where my frustration comes in, right? We were all spoiled by a championship last year that went to the final lap of the final race. And I think our hope <clears throat> and, and the way that the FIA and Formula One had sold us on the new regulations was tighter, more competitive racing. And the hope was maybe we'd see two or three teams in the mix. And we go into this race weekend and and Charles Leclerc sitting 38 points back of, of Max Verstappen. And when you do the math, you're thinking, okay, we've got 10, 11 races left. Left. He just needs to pick up 3.5, 3.6 points per race, which isn't insurmountable. Like you're going to need to have some really stellar performances and you're going to need to have a little bit of good luck. But ultimately, Max goes in, he scores 25 points, and we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. And you score zero because of what's really an unforced error. And obviously, mm-hmm. post-race, Charles Leclerc was incredibly humble and vulnerable and he took full blame for it but now all of a sudden we're sitting in a position where with 10 races left the gap in the world drivers championship is what 25 points like it's it's not 25 points it's 63 points it's almost insurmountable at this point and you start doing the math like Charles Leclerc almost needs to win every single race the rest of the way um just to fight off the advancements of of Max Verstappen so I think I'm frustrated because I think I felt I was hoping that we were going to have a really close championship and no fault to Red Bull. And we'll speak a little bit about them, but they've been exceptional and they seem to have solved all of their reliability issues. But in terms of a constructors and a world drivers championship perspective, that that dream of a tight, tight race seems to be slipping away. And now we have 10 races left. We've got one race before the summer break. I'm not sure how we how we overcome this now big deficit. Well, Mark, you raise a, a really good point there. You look at uh, the, the gap in the Drivers' Championship. It went from 38 points before the weekend to 63. The gap in the Constructors' Championship between Red Bull and Ferrari went from 56 to 72. And then, you know, the mind-blowing stat is 
uh, Charles Leclerc has l- given away 75 points from winning positions in the season so far. <laughs> I mean, if, if you look at it right now, I mean, if he hadn't thrown away those points one way or another, I mean, you look at today, go back to Imola, any of the the, the, the times that these points have evaporated from him, it, it would be completely different. This championship would be a lot closer because... Like Hammy was uh, just saying, I mean, it's 63 points now between himself and Max Verstappen, which is just an Everest-like gap to close. I mean, 38 points, it was big enough. But when you think it down, that's just a race win and change. I mean, we still have a lot of races to go. And we saw that, you know, Max had a couple of DNFs at the beginning of the season. He had that off weekend or the the bad race at uh, at Silverstone a couple of weeks ago when he hit a, be- a piece of debris, damaged his car, and that that affected his race. Right. So the whole point is that the Formula One World Championship is always a marathon. It's not a sprint. So things can and usually do happen to to someone. But when you're giving away points like that, you know that's that's just crazy. But I mean, those, those stats are just mind blowing. Hammy, just jump in. I know that uh, yeah, it no, looks no, like I, you want to say something. I have a question for both of you, and I think that's sure. a really great analysis. That hey, ultimately, Charles Leclerc has forfeited 75 points in the championship, and even if he doesn't forfeit all of those, like we're we're 10, 15 points apart, and we've got a absolute fire burner, barn burner of a championship. But I'm going to ask you, because you guys have both been watching Formula One forever. I think it's important to contextualize what we saw today. Like this doesn't happen often. A race winner doesn't commit a self in sort of an unforced error to, to DNF from a race often. Like you look back to 2019 in Hockenheim, obviously uh, Sebastian Vettel was running close to the front in what was at that point still a tight championship. That race was obviously wet and the conditions were were pretty crazy. Go back to 1999 with Mika Hakkinen. Okay, you know what? That was a unforced error for sure. But like this is this is unexcusable. And and Tim, I think you did a really good job of explaining what happened here because I watched that again and again and again, and I wasn't sure what the error was. And I was talking to some friends. Um, earlier today about this and the general consensus that we had is that both he and his teammate Carlos Sainz are really beginning to feel the pressure that the team has put them in a position where due to reliability issues and strategy issues and some driver errors themselves the two drivers are now putting massive amounts of pressure on them and they're perhaps just driving the cars beyond the limit of where they would normally drive them if the championship wasn't so far apart so so I don't know about you guys, but can you think of another example where somebody put their car into the wall and DNF'd in a race where, hey, maybe not a race win, but a podium mm-hmm. podium finish was guaranteed? Okay, well, I'm going to frame it in this way, when in, in such a way, okay, Charles still very, met at the, very much at the front end of his career. So I know that some of the names that I'm going to throw out there are big comparison uh, between themselves as uh, multiple world champions in some case, uh, compared to a guy that's really only won a handful of races in his career so far. But just think about during his career, how many times have we seen Lewis Hamilton make a mistake like that? Or Michael Schumacher? Or um, who else? Uh, Ayrton Senna. I mean, keep going on. Like, think about the greats are greats for a reason, right? And they they rarely put a wheel wrong. And the the question that I kept asking myself about this is, okay, he's maybe at a little bit of a, a different later stage in his career compared to Max a couple of years ago. And I kept thinking to myself, well, is this one of these situations that uh, that maybe Charles Leclerc just takes away and says, okay, well, this really sucks. You know, my my opportunity to win the 
championship this year is now basically dead. It may have a faint pulse, but it's almost to the point where it's, you know, not revivable. And I just take this all and try to come back next year. But I was thinking, is Charles, and I, Tim, I want to let, let get your take on this first. Is Charles Leclerc at a point in his career now where Max Verstappen was at Monaco back in, what was that, 2018 or whatever, when he stuffed it into the wall in Q3 and started at the back of the grid, and then he just t- took a little bit of time to disconnect, came to Montreal a couple of weeks later without his entourage, completely different headspace. And for me, that was one of those benchmark moments in, in Max Verstappen's career, because from there we saw real maturing in the way that he drives. I mean, he was always a diamond in the rough. I mean, Charles is a couple of years older compared to where Max was at that point in his career, but I'm just kind of wondering, is this a benchmark moment? Is this a milestone moment in Charles Charles Leclerc's career? I know I just blew your mind, but... <laughs> we, well, the thing is, is that you're not, we're not going to know until we get to like Hungary or we get to Spa or, you know, we get to some of the other races that we've got coming up after the summer break, right? Like that's when, that's when we'll know what impact this accident has had on him psychologically in terms of the confidence. The only thing like you, you made, you made mention of Ayrton Senna. I only remember Ayrton Senna messing up that bad when he was dominating everybody at the Monaco Grand Prix and he had crashed out of like, I think it was like a, it was over a 10 second lead over the second place driver around Monaco and he went to his room Close the doors. No one ever heard from him for a while. He didn't go back to the racetrack. It took the team forever to get him out of his hotel room. He was totally distraught. And he never did anything like where he had a, a mental sort of hiccup from, from there on out. You just never saw it. Like you saw incidents where he was aggressive and where he placed his car but in terms of the the mental aspects, like he worked with some high end uh, sports psychologists uh, just to just to get the the mental game sort of dialed in. And the thing for Leclerc is that you know I I'm still surprised that he made a mistake like he did when he was put in the position that he was in. I I just think that confidence. And the confidence that that he has within himself moving forward, this is either going to really knock it and and we're not going to see the same Charles Leclerc for a while, or we're going to see the opposite. And I think we're going to see a driver who just comes out and just starts smashing everything, not in terms of smashing walls, but smashing like (laughs) wins. Um, Because at the end of the day, guys, the difference between a good driver and a great driver is how they bounce back from setbacks like this. Matteo Bonato said after the race today, and I quote, although this result was far from the one we wanted, there are still some positives to take away from this race. First of all, the F-175 was very competitive, even on this very difficult Paul Ricard track. There's no point on dwelling on Charles' mistake. These things can happen, even to great drivers like him. And together, we have already put it behind us. Carlos had a great weekend, starting with qualifying when he did what was required for him and the team. In the race, he was patient in the early stages and then made up places lap after lap, including some brilliant overtaking moves. Now we look forward to Hungary where we want to fight for the win once again and like 
I mean, I heard from Mattia following the race, you know, it was interesting to hear how the first words out of his mouth were, you know, we didn't talk about the crash and the whole team uh, trusts and supports him and his like fantastic potential is what he called it. Uh, I, you know, the team came to this race with a new floor, a brand new floor. They, they've made a big upgrade this weekend as well. And it appears that it, it worked. They look like they've really gotten a handle. Um, and from what I've heard, they've gotten a real handle on their tire deg uh, within the race because that's something that they did uh, struggle with for the um, for this first half of the season. And it looks like whatever upgrades with the floor that they've done to it, it looks like it's cured a lot of that. And it's given them actually a faster car than, than the Red Bulls. So that's why I say where it's like, moving forward like ferrari look ferrari makes mistakes on strategy ferrari makes mistakes on reliability and then their drivers make their own mistakes (laughs) and this championship should not be where it is right now in terms of the gap between the points it just shouldn't this should be literally Red Bull and Ferrari should be separated by, I don't know, guys, like maybe a handful of points. And then same goes for the driver's championship. Like, yeah, you know, it 100%. should be, you know, it should be separated by what? Like maybe, maybe 10, maybe 15 points at yep. best because, yep. yeah, I mean, they're so equal on everything. It's just, it's literal mistakes, guys. It's really put them on the back foot here. And Tim, we we saw other mistakes today. We saw an unsafe release. We saw a really sloppy pit stop. If this was North American pro team sports, we would be calling for the head coach's job. We would be calling for the general manager's job. Is there a point during this season where people start questioning the security of Matteo Bonato? He's he's had a lot of passes this year and in years previous. Is it too early or am I being too hyperbolic? What would you do? Like if you were if you were the the president of Ferrari, you know, what what would you guys do? I would give Ross Braun a blank check to come back. I just don't know if he's I just don't know if he's in the right headspace or whether that's something he would even want to do at this point. <laughs> Daily, what would you do? Yeah, you know, it, it's really tough, right? I mean, like, but what benefit do you have by pulling the pin halfway through the season? Sure, you know, you, you, you have a over. scapegoat and start it over. I mean, you're still looking towards 23. I mean, the development uh, of that car and that program still running in parallel to this uh, this season. And it, it's just frustrating. I mean, my concern for Ferrari is, is that it, it's not just one thing, right? It, it's just not... Okay, I mean, what do we always talk about when it's McLaren? We're always talking about Danny Ricardo, right? It's just Ricardo's not measuring up to his teammate. You know, the you know the things that he's um, saying is the issues. The same thing he said last year, or the year before. But that's you know, we're not really the the other things. We we tend to be a little bit more positive when it comes to like Lando or the team as a whole and the job that Zach Brown has done, etc. Right? But I mean, when Ferrari one weekend we're criticizing one of the drivers or we're criticizing reliability or we're call or we're criticizing a call that was made from the pit wall and it just keeps rolling over. And excuse me, when we sat down to watch the race this morning, 
get a couple laps into it. And then, you know, I can't remember if it was either my wife or myself made the comment. It's like, oh, yeah, Charles looks really good now, but don't worry. He's going to crash. The car is going to let him down or they're going to screw his strategy and Max is going to win anyways. And, uh, you know, and, and it's not like it's we're prophetic in any sense of the, uh, the, the word. It just felt that when he had his accident, it just it felt inevitable. I mean, it just seems to. To me at this point and everybody else, it just seems like, okay, well, what's going to happen to Ferrari this weekend? What, what's, who, who's it going to be? Who's going to let them down? And it just seems like it, it's ongoing because it's unfortunate. I mean, we, we should talk about Carlos now because he's part of the equation as well. And he had a pretty good race on Sunday. I mean, he looked really good in, in qualifying as well, but it was all for nothing because he was going to be starting at the back of the grid with Kevin Magnuson because of all the, the penalties excuse me, penalties because the engine change and all that. But I mean, he sliced his way through the field on Saturday and he did a really, really good job, but it's just unfortunate. I mean, the way that this race really should have gone, excuse me, got the hiccups now, though the way that this race should have gone down is it should have been both Ferraris up there in the top two or three positions, all uh, or first three positions, all race long, that, that, that one, two punch, but, you know, Charles is kind of, you know, fighting with one arm tied behind his back because he doesn't have a teammate there to, to lend him support. So, I mean, he's basically uh, fighting off Max the whole time. Uh, Carlos is doing a great job to get all the, all the way back to where he can. And then eventually it looks on or it looks like, OK, well, he's stuck in there. And was it fourth or fifth or whatever, saying he can't pass Sergio Perez, but somehow he gets past him. And then, you know, it was just kind of funny. I know there, there's a delay on the radio, but it's just like, you know, he's telling the pit wall to shut up because he's trying to he's trying to fight with Checo. And then, you know, they're telling him to box. He's saying that he wants to stay out and all these things. It's just like there seems like there's such a disconnect on so many fronts. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's, uh, and this is at a point now where... You know, Sergio Perez, you know, that car is actually going away from him. Like they're they're actually developing this car more towards Verstappen and less towards what Sergio Perez, you know, has to work with. And so you're leaving, if you're Red Bull, Sergio vulnerable. And for Ferrari, you have Carlos Sainz, who's really starting to figure this thing out here, guys. Like he looked great this weekend. He looked great. And I have a feeling if he didn't have to take the engine penalty, which at one point this season he was going to have to regardless, it was going to happen. But this was a good place to take it. Um, that being said, he would have. I think he would have been on pole. And if he had have been on pole, then who's to say you just – now you have two Ferraris in the top three. You're able to cover off Max any way you need to. You're able to hold him up if you have to. You're able to use Carlos in any way that you want. There is so much potential with this Ferrari team. And I just think if they can get it dialed in, enough with the mistakes, 
I, I think they can eat their way back into this championship. They're going to need Max to have some bad luck. No question. But they're going to need both drivers from here on out driving like superb. And their, their strategy needs to be flawless moving on out. And that goes for reliability as well. Tim, I, I tease w- this. Oh, sorry. please, daily. No, I was just going to say, because uh, if you look at Carlos, this was his worst finish of the season this afternoon in, in France. And, you know, you got to take that with a pinch of salt because he started at the back of the grid and finished fifth. So, I mean, mm. you know, it's yeah. not really a bad result considering where he started and what he finished. But he would have been on second- the podium if he if he, he would have been on the podium today if, oh, he, uh, if he didn't make that other pit stop. And his second worst finish of the year was a fourth place in Spain. So he's got four DNFs in Australia, Imola, which was the uh, the, the the accident he had on the opening lap with uh, Danny Ricardo. Then they had the big uh, DNF, double DNF in Azerbaijan. Then uh, in Austria, of course, he had the engine fire two weeks ago, right towards the end of the race. He was second in Bahrain, in Monaco, in Canada. He was third in Saudi Arabia and Miami. And then he was he won, of course, it's uh, Silverstone a couple of weeks ago. So, I mean, he's had a solid, solid season. I mean, unfortunately, that gets overlooked by some of the the, the bad moments that, that that he's had and some of the criticism that he had, you know, and rightly so after Australia and then also um, after Imola, because, I mean, two races, he had what a total of what about three laps from from two Grand Prix because of those early incidents in both of them. And then, you know, the, the the high-profile DNF in Azerbaijan, double DNF, and then, of course, uh, two weeks ago in Austria. But, I mean, he's had some solid, solid uh, results this year. I mean, he's been uh, – he's I think he's had a really, really, really good season. What did you guys think of that comment? And I was stoking the fires a little bit to have this conversation. But right now, Ferrari sits 72 points behind Red Bull. Mercedes now is just 44 points behind Ferrari. And let's let's be fair. Obviously, Mercedes has made significant progress in the development of that car. Uh, the porpoising seems to be all but gone. Race pace seems to be significantly better. But at the same time, this is a team that has managed to eat up a lot of points that were left on the table because of those mm-hmm. mistakes and those unforced errors that we were talking about with Ferrari and some of those DNFs from Red Bull early in the season. But is the, is the championship to watch now Ferrari chasing down Red Bull with every ounce of their being? Or is it Mercedes making a late season charge and going after Ferrari for second in the championship? Totally. I I think that uh, Ferrari is flattering Mercedes to a certain extent. And I don't want to take away the work that that they've done. I know that they've had their issues with the car. And it hasn't been a a season by their own high standards that they're they're, they're happy with. And that's logical considering what they've done over the past uh, decade. However, considering where they are now compared to where where, uh, Ferrari is, I mean, uh, Mercedes has 270 points. The constructors, Ferrari only has 314. So, I mean, that Delta... is entirely closable. So you think about like all the points that, that they, they've given up and uh, Mercedes has gladly picked up. I mean, they've got to have that, uh, you know, firmly in their sights. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure to them that uh, th- there is a bit of an asterisk there knowing that in a fair fight, I mean, they're not going to be able to, to, to really stick with Ferrari because I mean, the, the Ferrari is just a, a you know, it, the car is just faster. It's just, just that much a uh, little bit better than, than the uh, Mercedes is this year. 
But having said that, do you think that there's anybody at Mercedes that isn't motivated to pick up the points whichever way that they can? And if they somehow manage to overtake Ferrari and take second place in the Constructors' Championship, yeah, sure, it's a consolation prize, but, you know, compared to where they've been, but I would think that they would be happy to take that. You know, if if Ferrari's going to give those points away, you know, they're going to pick them up and then, you know, and, and rightfully so. I think, you know, we can't take too much away from, like you said, what Mercedes has done because they have done a really incredible job to get a car that, I mean, literally was one of the worst cars on the grid (laughs) and, uh, you know, make it pretty fast. And they're only losing a few tenths uh, here and there within race, you know, race trim. Qualifying is a different, different story. They're, they're, they're pretty far off. But when it comes to the racing, they actually have a pretty decent uh, race car itself. But yeah, it's kind of like they're just there picking up scraps, right? And whatever Ferrari right. fumbles with, right. Mercedes is there waiting at the bottom of the dinner table for some scraps to fall off, and they're just going to numb them up, right? So, so generous yeah. of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? So, um, I think for, for Mercedes, you know, that's where they're at. Do I think they're going to catch Ferrari in this championship standings? No. Do I think the storyline is watching Ferrari chase down Red Bull? Yes, I do. That's where I think the story is going to go next. That's where I have a feeling it'll go next simply because of just how competitive that car is. And then it's just going to come down to those things that I'd mentioned before, limiting all of the mistakes. That's it. Well, that's going to make the the Hungarian Grand Prix just that all that much more compelling. Now it's totally. going to be a rebound race for Ferrari and for for Charles Leclerc. It's like, how do you ba- bounce back from yet again another subpar weekend in, in France? And it's just another example of a weekend that's gone wrong for Ferrari. And so we we get this one, and you got to go into that month long summer break on a yes. high note. It, yeah, yeah daily, right? 100% agree. Like, I think Hungary is critically important to Ferrari, especially because you nailed it. As an individual driver, Carlos Sainz, or especially Charles Leclerc, or everybody back at the factory, you need to go into that month-long summer break with the opportunity to reset and recalibrate, but you need to go in on a positive note. If you come in with a DNF or a couple of low points finishes, that is not going to be good for the psychology of that team in the back half of the exactly. season. You nailed it. Yeah. You have to have a great result there, not just for the championship, but for the mental well-being of the organization. Yeah, yeah, right? Because you either go into that uh, the summer break on a high note and something that you, you've got that momentum going, at least from from that one last race, or else it's going to sit there and it's going to knot you for that entire month of August, and then you go to Spa or to Monza. For, yeah, I guess it's Spa will be the first race back at uh, at the end of August there. But it's a, it's a huge, huge race, mentally speaking, for Ferrari next weekend. And, uh, you know, they, they got to come out literally fighting right from the very first practice session, right through the very last lap of the race because boy if they have like another bad weekend it won't be people like nico rosberg calling for serious changes at uh, at marinello and you know it's it, it will just only get worse right and the the, the pressure i mean and, but but that's part of it right that that is ferrari it is the biggest racing team in any series in the entire world anybody that puts on 
a crash helmet and a set of gloves and climbs into a racing car dreams of racing for ferrari so i mean sure it's like a religion in italy but i mean ferrari has fans everywhere so it is a massive pressure cooker and you know just you know the longer that this thing goes on the worse and worse and worse it's gonna it's gonna get right so I don't know. And, and again, just to to finally pick up on that one point uh, that, that Hammy made a little while ago, that unsafe release from the pits there where Alex Albon literally had to jam on the brakes to avoid crashing into to Carlos Sainz there, you know, who's, who's being released out of his pit box. It's just like another example of when things go bad at Ferrari, they tend to mushroom. They tend to spiral out of control really, really big. I mean, and, and that kind of really spoiled his afternoon again because who, who knows? I mean, if he didn't have to serve that five-second penalty, I mean, sure, f- fifth was a great result for him. Mm-hmm. But who knows if things had turned out a little bit different, if there wasn't that penalty, if there wasn't some of these, you know, the safety cars, VSCs and stuff like that. Who knows? Maybe at the end of the day, he was fight- fighting for a podium. But, you know, it is what it is. And uh, what we'll never know for sure one way or another. So, guys, as we start to wrap this up a little bit, there's some uh, pretty cool uh, stats uh, around here. So this was uh, Lewis Hamilton's 300th Grand Prix. So that's uh, so P2 is the best finish ever for a driver on or after their 300th race. No, Fernando Alonso, uh, Lewis's former teammate, uh, teammate from way back when, he has now competed. Uh, he's now the most what is it? Competed driver in Formula One of all time. No, completed the most laps. And then what else do we have here? Uh, Kevin Magnussen. Where is, where's my notes here? He's made seven overtakes in lap one. He also has the most overtakes this season at 67. That's a pretty impressive uh, statistic. Uh, Mick Schumacher has the second most at 60. Lance and uh, Joe Guan Yu have 58 overtakes and Lewis has 57. I, I feel like these are stories and stats that that nobody is, is talking about. And I think especially for, well, if not for K-Mag, I, I think that MSC should get a little bit of love for that because, I mean, he's been criticized and, and rightly so in some cases for, for, for not delivering. But I mean, if he's got, you know, he's made 67 overtakes, passes on the track, pardon me, 60. I think that's a, that's a pretty darn good stat to flex on, especially for, for a, a young driver. But then Lance and, and Joe Guan Yu, those are pretty impressive numbers as well, but I guess you know with the midfield being as tight as it is, you know these guys are uh, you know fighting for it uh, all afternoon long. That's uh, that's that's pretty good. Um, Esteban Ocon received two penalty points for causing a collision. Joe Guan Yu received two penalty points also for causing a collision. Uh, Stroll and Vettel almost crashed at the very last lap there at the end. And then uh, one final stat here, Max Verstappen has more races driving a Red Bull than any other driver, including Sebastian Vettel and including Mark Webber, who has uh, driven more, or before today, had driven more races than uh, any other Red Bull driver. So any of those stats uh, stick out for either of you guys? Hamilton's 300th Grand Prix is, uh, that's pretty spectacular. And to think of what his like win, like his, if we were to even do like a win loss record, right? I mean, the, the best, incredible. The stats that Lewis has been able to achieve over 300 Grand Prix is, uh, it just, it blows, blows my mind really at the end of the day. Uh, for him in the race, obviously, uh, great start from P4 uh, for him and jumping up into third. Uh, it's a tough one, though, at the same time. His drinks bottle 
wasn't working. But funny enough, you know, Lewis never really tends to use the the drinks bottle at the end of the day, but he was telling us he was pretty dehydrated at the end of this one. And um, FIA and F1 gave them a bit of time off uh, as soon as they got out of the car to kind of cool down a bit. This is something that's usually they don't normally let them do. Uh, but he was quite grateful that they, they did. Uh, but yeah, just a huge result. I, I think for him, because at the end of the day, it's like, it's Lewis Hamilton. It's the 300th Grand Prix and you're sitting there and he qualifies fourth and you're like, Hmm, I wonder if like, he's even going to be able to get a podium in his 300th Grand Prix and he goes through to get second place. <laughs> I mean, like it's only Lewis, like it's, that's Lewis Hamilton. Tim, yeah. just to well, build I'm, on what you're saying, yeah. 300 race starts, 187 podiums, so that'd be a 60% podium completion rate. 103, <laughs> or sorry, 100 race, 103 <laughs> oh race God. wins. So he's won 33% of all the races he started. He's been on the podium for more than 60% of all of the races he started. So wow. pretty, pretty obscene numbers. And there's no reason to think that there's any slippage in his performance because as the season's gone on, now four straight podiums on the trot. He scored a second place finish today in his 300th win, which, as Mr. Daly just said a couple of minutes ago, is the best result ever for somebody in their 300th or later Grand Prix. There's no reason Mm -hmm. to think that he can't be hyper-competitive. And if they don't compete for race wins this year, given another off-season or development on that car, what's to say they aren't hyper-competitive next year and he isn't chasing another championship? Uh, Question for you guys, because it's uh, it was actually a a question that was put towards uh, Lewis during the post-race, uh, the FIA post-race press conference that we were in. Um, how how long do you guys think, oh, Daly, I'll go, I'll go to you first. How, how long do you think Lewis Hamilton sticks around in Formula One for because his contract is essentially going to be up um, next after next season? I, I wouldn't be surprised that maybe he sticks around for a, maybe another year beyond that. I, I think it really depends on what happens uh, next year. I, I think that uh, Lewis, let's face it, I mean, he's he deserves to walk away on his own terms whenever he wants. I, I mean, he's given so much of the sport. I mean, what, what he's done. I mean, Hammy just laid out some of the stats there. I mean, it's it's absolutely amazing. But I would think that that next year will ultimately decide a, a, a lot whether or not he comes back after the end of that deal is up, and if he does, does he stick around? Does he sign another multi-year deal, or maybe does he just sign kind of like a like a one-year kind of deal here and there? I, I kind of hope that we see him maybe stick around for another two to three years. I mean, the thing is that to put up numbers like he's he has, of course, he's had some very very good cars, probably some of the best cars that we've ever seen in Formula One. But I mean, he's always been incredibly consistent. That that's the thing. I mean, he's been fast, but he's also been consistent. I mean, we we haven't seen. We I mean, we talked a lot about like uh, Charles Leclerc making that mis- mistake uh, th- this afternoon. We haven't seen too many incidents like that with Lewis Hamilton. I mean, he's he's not infallible. He's had his moments uh, for, from time to time over the years. But I would think that uh, it basically comes down to. You know where what space is he at uh, between his ears? What's what's his headspace like? Because mm-hmm. if, if if he's fun, he's having a, you know enjoying it, and he's got a competitive car, then 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 why not? But the clock is ticking. I mean, at some point he's going to have to hang up the the helmet and the gloves, and you know the sport will be at a loss when he does. But uh, certainly, I hope that we see a couple more years of Lewis Hamilton to to, to come. Yeah, I definitely agree. 
Yeah, I think we we all hear the reports that Lewis has a lot going on in his life, right? It's music, it's fashion, he has a lot of passion, he loves to travel, he likes to be involved in some really great social justice causes. But I think ultimately, if he's having fun, and I think that's a byproduct of being able to drive a competitive car, and that team's willing to pay him 40 to $50 million a year, I don't know how he can turn that down, right? It's, it's reported that he's making $40 million USD this year. It's very possible that he could make 50 or $50 million in 2020. 24 if he resigns. Yeah. He's obviously incredibly well integrated with Toto and the Brackley squad and I don't think there's any question that he's not going to go anywhere else. If he if he left Brackley, if he left Mercedes, it's because he's leaving the sport. Um, but I'm sure that if they continue to be competitive next year and they build on all the great things they've done this year, maybe he comes back. And maybe it's not a multi-year deal. Maybe he does the LeBron James thing that LeBron did with Cleveland, which is, hey, I'm going to keep this team sharp and I'm going to keep them honest. I'm going to sign one-year deals to make sure that they keep developing the way I want them to. But then again, if Toto comes to him at the end of next year or midway through next season says, hey, look, here's two years, 2024, 2025, $100 million, we're competitive. How can he say no to that? He would still only be 40, which is younger than Fernando is now. He had mentioned that um, he feels like he has plenty of fuel left in the tank. He's enjoying what he's doing. He's enjoying you know, working with the, the sport and what direction they're going in because he's encouraged by that. Um, I think for, for Lewis, it's, it, it would either be something like a single or maybe even multi-year deal. Um, who knows? I, I, I don't see him going past 2025, but you know what, you know, he could surprise us all and, and go much longer, uh, than that. But I think at the end of the day, a big part of it has to do with how competitive they're going to be. I mean, mm-hmm. if, Mercedes starts going backwards at the end of this season and into next, even though Very he, true. Is, he is telling the team what he wants in next season's car, like he's already doing that. Then like, uh, I, I would question how long he'll stick around because I don't see him sticking around at the team. If they're going to struggle for the next two, maybe even three years. Exactly. I just think he, he yeah. would just say, see you later. Totally I'm sure agree. you would both agree, but for listeners sitting at home waffling about maybe going to a Formula One Grand Prix next year and seeing Lewis Hamilton's on the bucket list, don't hesitate. Do it because he's under contract through 2023. There's no guarantee he's going to come back in 2024. Um, and mm-hmm. if seeing him is one of those things that you want to be able to say you did to your kids and your grandkids, make sure you take the opportunity next year because there's no guarantees. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, guys, uh, I'm just going to wrap it up here. We didn't actually uh, break down the, uh, the the standings of the World Championship, so we'll just do that now. So uh, Max, by virtue of his win this afternoon, extends his lead to the top of the Drivers' Championship with 233 points. Charles Leclerc, 170 for second. Sergio Perez, 163. So, I mean, Sergio could move into second place in the World Championship uh, fairly quickly. Uh, Carlos Sainz, uh, fourth with 144 points. George Russell, Lewis Hamilton, Lando Norris, Esteban Ocon, Valtteri Bottas, and Fernando. Fernando Alonso round out the top 10. Kevin Magnussen is in P11 in the the world championship which is uh you know pretty good uh you know pretty good result for a guy that's uh, missed a year or so. Uh now over on the constructors uh, championship uh got Red Bull on top of 396 points, Ferrari 314, Mercedes 270 for third, Alpine fourth with 93 points, McLaren is a fifth with 93. So that's going to be an interesting battle between the Alpines and the McLaren. So before we go, Tim let everybody know where they can follow you online of course uh, the website is tsn.ca slash tsn dash racing dash pod where can everybody else uh, check you out on uh, social media 
Yeah, you can get me uh, at Tim Haraney everywhere uh, you get your social media. If you want more TSN Racing Pod, you can actually get that wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, guys, thanks very much for uh, setting all this up. It, it's been great. We need to do like a driver market podcast. Yes. Yes, we do. Yeah. Because like that's that has to be done soon because it's it's going to heat up here over the next three to four weeks, I think. Silly season's going to get uh, very silly. So yeah, we, we should jump on that uh, ASAP. Yeah. Mark, why don't you let everybody at home uh, know where they can find us and uh, where they can get the show? Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, follow us on Twitter at ScuderiaF1Pod. Um, if you like what you hear, uh, it means a lot. We are honored if you can jump on a Spotify, give us a, give us a rating. If you go on to Apple Podcasts, give us a rating, give us a review. That'd be awesome. We don't do this often, by the way, but I wanted to read out a review that hit, uh, that hit us on Apple Podcasts this weekend. I thought this was brilliantly written, but it is a grand slam of a podcast, five stars. Think of Hammy as the spicy qualifying lap, Daly as the smooth laps out front and win, and Tim pops by on the second to last lap for a pit stop for Sauce to bang out the fastest lap. So that is the, the, the most wonderfully awesome. creative and well-written awesome. review I've ever seen. So to everyone at home, please know we read every review. We share them amongst each other on uh, on DM, but that was uh, that was awesome. That's awesome, guys. Tim, Hammy, thanks again for this. Everybody, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll catch you again in a couple of days. Have a great week and bye for now.